On the couch, that's Dr. Raymond Hamden, clinical and forensic psychologist based at the Human Relations Institute and Clinics. He's here by my side taking your questions this morning on those personal problems affecting your life today. Depression, anxiety, relationship issues, they're all things that Dr. Raymond can help you with. And you know the text number 4001 or via our messenger app. You can download that at DubaiEye1038.com or you can call us on 04423. 1010. Now, are you in what is perceived to be a non-conventional relationship? Maybe there's a big age difference or you've married someone from another culture or religion. Are you in a long-distance relationship? You are married, but you don't live with your partner. Maybe, and I don't know if anyone out there this has happened to you, but have you remarried your ex? There are various ways that people connect, fall in love and spend their lives together. And today we're going to start by unpacking the notion of what is a conventional relationship and share your stories. So if you are in what is called a non-conventional relationship, let us know about it on that text number. And also how impact on your family, your friends, your work colleagues. Have you been in a situation by your choice of partner? It's then excluded you perhaps from your community. Let us know your your story on 4001 or via our messenger app good morning to you dr raymond how are you today i'm very well thank you i'm counting down my days till yeah, i go I on leave you get to go on vacation i do get yeah to go home i know first time in a year i'm going back home to the uk well, I'm sure you're going to enjoy that. I'm looking forward to it. But, and there uh, will be sunlight. Uh, there will be sun. I'm going to take the sunshine with me. T- take down the temperatures a little bit, <laughs> but take the sunshine <laughs> with yeah, of me. Course. Are you going to be doing any sports there, running? No, I'm not going to do any sports or running, but I am going to the Glastonbury Festival. So I'm going to be doing a lot of sitting, walking, quite a lot of walking, uh-huh. camping outdoors in, in the fields and uh, watching and maybe some dancing, watching the music, watching the bands and enjoying That's all of the... That's going to be quite exciting. Very very exciting, Can't yes. Can't wait to hear about it and see the pictures. Yeah, and there'll probably be some people there that are in non-conventional relationships, um, quite possibly. And it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it seems very long, convoluted thing to say, non-conventional relationship. A relationship's a relationship, isn't it? A relationship doesn't change in definition. It may change in character and traits. And when we look at what has happened in communications and travel, we see that the world has actually become quite small in that more people are connected from different cultures, different religions, different political influences, different family styles. Back at the turn of the last century, when transportation was still not as effective, communication was not even there, people were more likely to marry the girl next door or the guy next door, somebody that you grew up with, sometimes people maybe of similar uh, backgrounds in that they go to the same place of worship, they went to the same high school, graduated. They may have had the same influences politically in their community. And interestingly, that is what solidifies a commitment process much easier than when people come from diverse backgrounds with each other. doesn't mean that the relationship won't work. It just means it might take a little bit more work to keep the relationship together. So in by defining the relationship, we're looking at love and commitment as the two elements for defining a relationship. Love is not an emotion like people think. It's actually a learned attitude. And it's based on gaining the status of intimacy, not just sexual, but emotional intimacy, and friendship. Well, you're not going to get there unless you're willing to be vulnerable with that person, meaning 
It's a good vulnerability that you know that you can trust them with everything that you say and do and will never be used against you. Well, to get there, you have to have the two basic formulas for a relationship, trust and respect. And that is the key. That is the foundation. The key words to the foundation of relationship is trust and respect. That's why it's impossible to have love at first sight. Now, you can have a physical attraction, and that's universal by the grace of God. It is a universal concept. It doesn't mean that everybody has to be knocked down, drag out, beautiful. Love comes in different styles, and people are attracted to different looks. So it's lust at first sight, not love at first sight. Once you've had a little bit of experience with that person, you might say, well, I'm going to try to tell you a secret. And if you keep that, then I'll tell you a bigger secret. If you don't use that against me, I'll tell you a bigger secret. And before you know it, you're looking at that person as your closest friend because they know more about you than anyone. Given that there's different kinds of love, which is really a sense of belonging, not all loves are romantic. The romantic in Intimacy would, of course, be physical, but the others would be an emotional intimacy, a connectedness, a friendship. That actually does not determine sustainability in the relationship. What actually determines sustainability is your commitment side. The commitment side is the way that you define your mission statement in life. What is your uniqueness? What are your boundaries? And there's hundreds of words to describe each one of those according to how you are. Hmm. By having that kind of definition of yourself and knowing yourself, it's much easier to come to a conclusion as to who may be the better partner. And this is why the research shows that arranged marriages may actually work better than love marriages. Because if the love marriage is only love and you don't have that commitment side through life experiences, you're going to be very vulnerable for breakup. So that means that their arranged marriages are usually when people bring their children together from similar backgrounds. That makes it easier. But also, you can have relationships that will sustain regardless of the difference in race, nationality, religious differences, political differences, whatever the case may be. But it may take a little bit longer To get to that love factor, it may even be more difficult to sustain that relationship. So what's your story? Let us know on 4001. Uh, Are you in a relationship that when maybe you introduced your partner to your family, there were a few raised eyebrows because it's not what they were expecting? Uh, Let us know on 4001. Uh, One person here is talking about uh, a 20-year age gap between him and his wife. And uh, actually, it was fine. We get on really well and the family uh, embraced us and all is good. But what's your story? Let us know on that text number. And are you living and in a relationship that's long distance, that you're not living in the same city, the same country, but you're managing to keep that relationship going and alive? And how is that for you? Let us know. Um, As we explore what is perceived to be unconventional within your community let us know your story on that text number now there's one here regarding a couple this is in america and i think it is interesting culturally how we perceive what is the normal not the normal what's socially acceptable or not socially acceptable when it comes to relationships and for this couple they actually live two blocks away from each other they've been married for six years they've got two children and they just don't live in the same house and it's working they say really well for them uh, but it has caused some rifts with other couples their friends because they're kind of like 
well, if you're going to marry somebody, then you should be living under the same roof with each other. And what are you actually doing? And what does that say about us and our relationships? And this particular person saying, well, exactly, it's more about your issue than our issue, particularly as they're seeing couples that are living together, raising children together, facing some real difficulties in their emotional attachment within their relationship. One of the dimensions that we look at when we look at marital satisfaction is the time together. Now, you look at a traditional kind of relationship, you would imagine they'd want to spend all the time together, or at least most of the time together. But that's not always the case. This is a unique situation that you bring up. Some people are very happy to have their complete privacy and a distance that would assure that privacy. When they want to be together, they have the option of coming together in one or the other person's home. <clears throat> this doesn't mean that there's a bad relationship. As a matter of fact, what makes that work is that both couple have decided, both people in that relationship have decided on that definition for their time together. Now, if a person wants to have more time together and they happen to have a relationship with someone who wants to live in a separate house, it's not going to work for very long because the person who needs more time together is going to feel abandoned or rejected by the person who needs more space. While the person who needs more space is going to feel <clears throat> that they are suffocating because they can never be enough mm. for, that other cu- uh, for that other person. Yeah, it's a good point because they say that actually <clears throat> similarly that um, she's gregarious, outgoing, likes to socialize. He's much more of a home bird. He likes his own company. So she says it works really well. Uh, we come together and when we're together, it's and it's every day. We see each other every day. It's real quality and it's real respect for each other. And uh, that's a big part of it, isn't it? Understanding each other's personalities and needs. Well, what's your story? Let us know on 4001. Um, Sajin's just texted in to say on the note regarding arranged marriages, I've had a lot of relationships, but all of them were broken off in time. My marriage was arranged, and I wondered how is this that it works better but it does um, you've mentioned it Dr Raymond but he says we both from similar backgrounds and we just clicked and I'm madly in love with my wife it's really nice to hear uh, we're talking about relationships but looking at what is deemed to be a non-conventional relationship and how that works out for the couple and is this something that you've experienced have you and your partner met with resistance from family members or friends or indeed work colleagues let us know your story on that text number and I suppose coming from where I come from in the UK you know you think about marriage you think about you my perception would be that the husband would be older than the woman but not too much older but it would always generally be that way and when you start to unpack this topic you start to think actually it pretty much is that way for most people I know Um, who's in a relationship where the wife is a lot older than the man of course they exist but our perception of what is the norm and what's conventional is interesting to sort of analyze but of course it can be different across cultures it has changed of course from generation to generation and when we look at the families that existed at the turn from 1800s to the 1900s we did see a, a difference in age group that was quite significant. And the reason is because, especially when you look at the Middle East and certain places in Africa, Europe, and Asia, as well as the Americas, 
people needed to get married at a very young age to have more people to work on the farm. It sounds indifferent. It sounds uh, not so nice to say, but that was the reality. But who you were going to marry? You are going to marry the girl next door, somebody you grew up with, somebody the families knew each other. And it wouldn't be surprising if the girls were closer in age when it was a young marriage. But as those people grew older, then they would find somebody younger. Here's the interesting thing in the research. The second marriage is usually going to be with a woman who may be half the age of your first wife. Really? That's what the research is showing. So, mm. so if you divorce at the time that your ex-wife is 40... Your next relationship is going to be a woman who's probably about 20 to 25 years old, mm. at least a relationship. It doesn't always end in marriage. But when we look at also the educational factors that existed 100 years ago, 100 more years ago, people who actually had a sixth grade education or in the certificate in the French system, that was considered like high school today or even university in some factors around the world. So... People wouldn't usually finish even the second or third grade. They would get the basic education, then they'd go back and work on the farm. So around puberty age, 11, 12, 13 years old, it was time to get married. And this is where you hear about your great-grandparents or grandparents getting married when they were 14 and 15 years old. Today would say, oh, that's terribly young. How could they have done that? Well, that was a way of life then. The mm. lifespan wasn't even nearly as what it is today. So it was more and of a sort of bond of survival as opposed to a love match it's about bringing people together to uh, have children to keep that line going but also to bring maybe money together financial bringing two families together mm -hmm. so there are lots yes. of different reasons why people got married and only recently did we realize we changed the definition of relationship it went from procreation to make sure that the human race continued to recreation you don't have to get married to have babies anymore. You can just get married to have the fun of the marriage, have the fun of the relationship in all aspects of it. Well, that's a significant thing today that actually causes us to have to rethink these marriages that we're talking about now, the relationships, the non-conventional ones. People get together just for the fun of it. Or because they love that person, the fun of it, but the commitment, they need to feel they have the commitment of the person that they love. And that means... Uh, in the eyes of their religion it's a, it's a ceremony it's always a civil service and they make it official and then usually they live in the same house together um, but it's interesting especially here in the UAE many people actually live apart from their partner their husband or wife um, they for you know work reasons or career or just because that's how it has panned out and I think that it can be very lonely for people to not be with their partner all of the time and yet some people will say oh that would be amazing that would be great if I didn't have to be 24 7 with my partner as much as I love them so I wonder how it works best for people you know if you are living and you're in a relationship that's a long distance relationship Dr Raymond what's the sort of average time if there is one across that's uniform for people that they need to see each other they need to be in each other's space for that relationship to continue and thrive each person is different they have different needs. The key to the success in the relationship, however, is having a partner who has the same or similar definition of that time together. But it's not just the time together. It's also how do you deal with financial issues together? How do you express emotions together? And it has to do with how do you deal with the in-laws? Or if you're going to have children, 
How many children do you want? How are you going to raise your children? There's a lot of different aspects that come into this that overlap with each other. But when we're looking at distance, some relationships survive distance pretty well. And one of the relationships that comes to mind would be military families, where a person has to be on military duty away from the family, sometimes for six to nine months of the year. And when we look at the marriage map, the very first phase of the marriage map is the fantasy, the honeymoon. If you don't have to leave that honeymoon, it's going to be like having an affair with your own partner because you never have to get reality. And this actually helps marriages survive. So they'll scream and they'll cry and they'll boo-hoo, please come back and please resign. We want you to be together all the time. But that's not really true. What they want is they want the opportunity to have that relationship that gives them the distance. And when they are together, it's strictly honeymoon. They don't want to deal with the reality. Mm. And where we see the problems in those kind of marriages is when one does come home full time because they've retired from the military or that work situation where they're distant quite a bit. Then when they have to go into the reality, they don't like the reality very much. And especially when they've been in the honeymoon phase for 20 or more years, you actually think it's reality even when it isn't. Mm. I remember talking to the seaman on the flying um, flying uh, angel out at sea, these guys that are out at sea with merchant seamen for like months on end. You know, they may be away for six, seven, eight months and then they go back home and mm. it's really difficult and they may only be home for a couple of months but they have a family, they have a wife, they have children and it can be difficult for them. One, they've got to kind of make the adjustment from being at sea for a long period of time to then being back on land and and connecting with their family but also uh the the, the wife and the children that you know they've been kind of coping and getting on with things without the man and then he comes back into the family home so it can be challenging both people have got to have the same or similar definition to the different factors for the relationship to work if you don't then you're going to run into conflict so do you think uh, living apart with your partner is a key to successful marriage or yeah that long distance relationship or maybe you live in the same town but you don't live under the same roof does that work well do you think is that the key to a successful marriage and are you in a relationship that some would perceive to be maybe not conventional? Uh, whether there's an age difference, maybe it's a cultural thing. Uh, let us know on 4001 with Dr. Raymond Hamden, clinical and forensic psychologist based at the Human Relations Institute and Clinics. And he's on hand, of course, as always on a Wednesday on the couch to take your questions if you're looking for any advice when it comes to anxiety or depression, relationship issues, that kind of thing. And it is the holy month of Ramadan that's being called called tomorrow and we are marking this very special time of year with our iftar the dubai eye iftar and a really a thank you to our listeners and we've got two invitations to give away today to join us at iftar at the jw marriott marquee on june the 27th so if you're available that evening then come along and uh, join us at table so all you need to do is text in iftar to go into the draw and we'll pull a winner out just before 12 o'clock today so dr raymond when it comes to relationships and how 
your family deal with something that they deem to be not right or they feel uncomfortable with or they just think I don't understand why would this be your choice of partner it goes against who we are or indeed maybe there's a big age difference how do you manage to connect with a family Uh, one of the people I was looking at earlier was saying how they hadn't spoken to their family in over eight years because they disapproved of her, her choice in partner Nobody will ever be good enough for your daughter or your son. That That's pretty much a, a solid statement. Even the best will never be good enough. There'll always be something that you're going to always want to believe that your child is the one who's making their life more fortunate. And a lot of this is the fear that we will never see our children again in the same light or we're going to have to compete for our child's attention because of a new life. The closer we believe that individual that our child wants to marry is to us, the more comfortable they will be to be with us, and therefore, the more time we're going to all have together. It kind of becomes a selfish purpose because we don't understand that what we can actually do is learn to include that person as part of our family. So rather than losing your child, you're gaining a child-in-law. And also learn to be friends with their family. That's a nice experience to have where you're actually friends with your children-in-law's mother and father and siblings. And when you treat each other as one, that certainly does take take away a lot of the fear that you're going to be rejected or abandoned because of competition of time that's needed for their family if there's not going to be the coordination and the cooperation between the two. So... What you want to do is make certain that you do get to know them, you communicate with them on a regular basis, see if there's a possibility of making them friends, even if it's not the best of friends, at least have some kind of a working relationship with them. Because the key to the whole process is not to have division, but to have a decisive way of working together and uniting together. But that's right. I mean, we know that's what we hope for and what we should be doing. But nevertheless, if people think that if they're disapproving of your choice, if they think that it goes against our values or indeed they're conscious that um, other people are going to disapprove and they don't want their family to be associated with whatever it may be. So, you know, as much as we would love to be like that, it's a shame to see that actually some families do break down and they don't accept or make those that reach out to make uh, to build bridges and looking at the white, the reason that they break down i was giving an example of how you can avoid some of the breakdown it doesn't mean that everyone will break down uh, will not break down some of them will still break down but when we're looking at at why is it that people may disapprove they may disapprove because of political differences religious differences maybe their attitude also socioeconomics comes into this nobody wants their daughter especially, to be put in a vulnerable position where she's not going to have the same quality of life or a better quality of life that you've afforded your daughter. Sometimes with sons, we do wish for them to have financial success, but we don't worry about them marrying someone, a girl from a lower socioeconomic status, because we know that our son will be responsible and he will therefore provide for his family and move that family into a higher Level. That's what we would hope for with the son. Our biggest concern becomes the daughter who wants to marry down 
And that actually is the term that many times is used. When we marry down, that means that we're not going to have the same quality of your life. Does that mean we're going to have to be responsible for our daughter and our grandchildren? How is that going to survive? Because money actually does come into play here. And money actually is not what is important. It's what it symbolizes that import, that's important. And it can become a power struggle. So these kind of concerns that parents have is not only the religious differences, community differences, cultural, even racial differences. It actually can be what would be the, the economic differences that can be quite straining, uh, and we start to fear for our children. These, again, cross the board. It comes from different levels of folks. When families happen to be into the affluent range, they become more concerned about this than those who are in the lower middle class and below that because they understand that money is something that's difficult to make. It doesn't have to be the forefront of success. So we see that the affluent families tend to be more concerned about their child marrying someone who's not at the same economic level as they are. Not only is it the money situation, they may even perceive it as a social embarrassment to marry somebody from a different race as well or a different political system, particularly when they come from cultures that are very politically oriented. Mm, mm. We also have countries that are caste-oriented, even though they want to deny it. They're still very caste, and people get very upset if their daughter is going to marry somebody from a different caste system or a different religious system when we see countries that are divided and cantonized because of religious differences, as if there's a different God somewhere. So what we see then is people's fantasy is that they want to stay connected. And the fear is that the connection may be lost. That becomes the key issue underneath all of this. Because whenever we work with families who are concerned about the choices that their children are making, that always is what comes up. The fear of the loss of that family member. And yet, inadvertently, that's what's happening. You are losing them by that disapproval. And I think to just pause for a moment and talk a little bit about disapproval and how that can manifest itself and how you react to that you know if you are somebody that feels that uh, someone you love and respect disapproves of you or disapproves of your actions how that can lead to certain reactions and the way you think and feel one of the things that parents have to realize is that they were very formulating in the child's way of thinking, feeling, and behaving. So if your child looks for the underdog to marry, you've got to ask yourself, what did I do that told my child it's okay for that, but I forgot to mention to them, you don't have to fall in love with them and marry them. Just because we're caretakers for them, we want to help, we do with our charity work, that doesn't mean that you fall in love and marry those folks that you're doing charity work for. It sounds cruel and it sounds unjustified. It even sounds mean to say it, but that becomes the reality. <clears throat> Whenever you marry someone that's out of your realm, out of your experiences so far, it can be a very difficult thing. And what a lot of times people don't realize is love is not enough. I was going to say, it's interesting you said earlier about, you know, that's the idea of love. And some will argue that, but I love them and that's how I feel. And the love overrides everything 
everything. And again, it brings us back round to how we define relationships, marriage, the family unit. And some will say, actually, love isn't enough because you do inherently have to have this connection which comes from shared values, some shared uh, cultural, um, not necessarily shared history, but cultural um, awareness, I suppose, um, and that sense of place. And I think, you know, I, I it's an interesting discussion or even argument we could say because people are going to feel very strongly particularly if they're in a relationship with somebody that is deemed to be of a different culture or as you say maybe they I'm like, I hate to sort of idea of saying that somebody is married beneath them it's kind of doesn't sit easy with me the idea of of that it doesn't fit easy with a lot of people we have to look at the reality though the reality is you don't want your child to suffer by having to be put in a situation where it's less than the quality of life that you gave them. And that's the whole key. Can they ever survive it? Can they ever rise from it? And you won't have to be responsible. See, the inevitable is that we're going to die. And when we die, we want to make sure our family is secure, safe, and sound. If you're afraid of your child's choice in a marriage that does not secure the things that you wanted for your child, it's not that you're afraid to die. It's that you know you will die, and you'll be worried what shape is that going to leave your child in. So a lot of different things come in. To get back to more of the realistic kind of day-to-day situations, what we want is to look at how sometimes people tend to be very traditional, and therefore they want everybody in their families to stay traditional. We, we are aware of communities where a family will buy a block of houses, so they'll always live next door to each other forever. And for generations, the children grow up in those block of houses. What happens when one of those children say, I want to move to a different place in the world? It may become a very uncomfortable situation for those family members. But yet, for economic reasons, they may not have any choice. There are also families who say, we like diversity. So it matters not whether our child marries somebody from the same religion, socioeconomic level, or whatever. We want our child to be happy and comfortable, and we will also learn to love that person because they love our child. Some people have that kind of ability to have flexibility in their perception of the world, and therefore they adjust, they adapt, and they are flexible enough to maintain the independence and respect and accept others, not tolerate but to accept others. Talking about relationships with Dr. Raymond Hamden, clinical and forensic psychologist at the Human Relations Institute and Clinics. And we've got a caller on the line. Good morning to you. Morning. Good morning. So what did you want to say to Dr. Raymond? Um, Okay. Uh, Dr. Raymond, this may be not part of your cultural setup, but this is the situation. I am from north of India. My wife is from south of India. Her mother... uh, her, fa- her father died when she was young. Her mother that did not approve of the marriage. And even after 20 years, uh, she refuses to accept me or even look at my face. Forget about talking to me. Yeah, the that's very unfortunate. Is, the issue now is that we have a s- small boy who's five years old. And my wife is keen to take him uh, to be with his grandmother over the holidays. My fear is that that negativity that her, my mother-in-law has towards me uh, will be passed on to him. And how do I tackle this? Because it's a big issue between my wife and myself. Well, one of the things that you need to do is you need to have an agreement with your wife that she will protect your son and her son from the grandmother's wrath. 
And if the grandmother would attempt to say anything to the son that is degrading about his father, you, then the wife needs to come into the picture and prevent that from happening. And this is how it needs to be done, because this kind of alienation syndrome becomes very destructive. And this is something that you want to avoid. But this is something that you and your wife have to agree on. You and your wife have to know how to play it. And you and your wife will have to, to support each other because it may cause a rift between the daughter and the mother. Now, obviously, your daughter is having difficulty knowing that she and her mother have a different kind of a distant relationship now. And it's unfortunate, even though your daughter made the right, even though the daughter made the right choice in her marriage, Regardless of, regardless of the reason that the mother is indifferent to you, is not going to change the relationship between you and your wife. So the agreement is between you and your wife how this will be handled. You can rehearse what will happen. You can also have an alternative if she needs to leave the mother's home with your son to come back or stay in a different location if the mother becomes uh, unbearable or belligerent. Is it important, yes. Dr. Raymond, that uh, the mother does take the little boy to spend time with her family? Uh, do you think that's a good idea? Yes, I do. And the reason is, good or bad, wrong or right, the grandmother's part of the family and the child needs to get to know the grandmother. And many times, this can actually make a turnaround. The grandmother may make a turnaround because she's going to love her grandchild, you would think. If she doesn't love her grandchild because of the father, then that tells you this is not the kind of woman that you ever want to be with or nearby anyway, and you may want to cancel that kind of a relationship. In other words, sometimes she may just be a mother and not a mommy. How's that? See, the point is, Doctor, the point is that I don't particularly uh, have any desire to have anything to do with the, my mother-in-law because she has uh, said nasty things about me and done a lot of nasty things to me, uh, even taking legal action against us, you know, on false charges. So it's, it's that I have nothing there. My fear is that my son will get the wrong impression about me from her, and I'm not sure my my wife is strong enough to take a stand against her mother. Because it's, I first of all said, don't take my son. You go, you have your mother, you go ahead, but leave my son here. I will look after him for the summer holidays. You go, because my wife's sister has a daughter, and the mother-in-law turned the daughter the granddaughter against the father. Okay, okay. Well, let's just get Dr. Raymond's take on that. We've got the, you know, good picture of what's happening here. What you're talking about is a mother-in-law who probably uh, is not just demonic, as you would probably uh, picture her, but she may have a personality disorder. And again, I can't make that a qualified diagnosis because I don't know the mother-in-law. But what you're describing is a personality disorder where she has to be the center of attention. She has to be controlling. She'll always be right. The only way that she can deal with a relationship is in a controlling relationship. And your daughter is, your wife rather, your wife is probably hoping that she'll find a mommy in this human being who gave birth to her rather than this human being just being a mother who is biological. And this is something that needs to be dealt with between the daughter and the mother. Now, your wife, as I can understand, and you have a good relationship, you have a communicative relationship, regardless of whether you believe your wife is strong enough to deal with the fact, you need to support her as a partner 
and not be just another controlling factor in her life to tell her what she has to do. You need to support her and you need to agree on rehearsing the behavior that could take place and how your wife can better handle it. When you rehearse that with her, and you can do this with the help of qualified psychologists who specialize in areas of family dynamics, you can actually empower your wife to have a stronger ability to deal with her mother. Now, not only does that protect your son, that will definitely improve the relationship between the daughter and the mother. If it doesn't, then it empowers your wife to not need her mother or to be looking for a mommy in a person who cannot be anything but a mother. I hope that's helped a little bit in what sounds like a very complex situation and I'm sorry for that but hopefully we've helped a little bit this morning and uh, wish you and your family all the very best and I suppose really Dr Raymond it's it's about the little boy it's about the child and making sure that he's the happiest he can possibly be within the family unit as well so for now thank you very much we wish you and your family all the best thank you yes it's an interesting one isn't it and it just goes to show though how volatile it can be within a family and how it can create divides and upset that can go on for years and years. Exactly. And I don't know the mother that he's talking about, but if, if I look upon my, my own history as a psychologist and, and look at the various kind of relationships that are very similar to this one that's described, this is not a foreign situation. Uh, this is actually quite a similar story that we hear too many times. We may be looking at a mother-in-law who, who has a histrionic personality disorder, maybe even a borderline personality disorder, and it's very, very destructive. And this is the kind of person who never gets help. They don't realize that they need help. They only have to be controlling. When these functioning people are dysfunctioning, as this appears to be the case, what we see is a mother-in-law who could probably give the silent treatment very easily, not talk to her daughter for a week, a month, maybe even two or three years. When she does see the daughter again, she'll pick up from where she left off before as if there had been no gap in time. So what you have to question about if, in fact, this is a histrionic personality disorder or a borderline personality disorder, are they actually even able to love? And this is where children have to suffer looking for a mommy from a person who can't be a loving mommy. They're only biological parents.